Welcome to the Why They Are So Angry podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Francois, a proud baby boomer with over 30 years experience as an educator and learning leader. And I'm Courtney Square, your resident first generation millennial. Join us as we present an unvarnished look at systemic racism in America throughout history and up to modern times. We invite you to pull up a chair, put in your earbuds, and allow us to enlighten, educate, and explore the real reasons why Black African Americans are so angry. Because until you know the whole history, it isn't American history at all. Hey, Courtney, I've been hearing holiday music in stores ever since July. So I guess we would be remiss if we didn't look into this time of the year with an eye to the theme of this podcast, Systemic Racism in America, and talk about the holidays. You're right, Aunt Carol. And before our audience labels us as Grinches or Scrooges, I want to give a disclaimer. Our family loves a good holiday celebration. We'll find any reason to celebrate. But we would be remiss not to know the whole story. Absolutely, my dear niece. Our family celebrates the holidays with a vengeance, so we're definitely not here to spoil them for others. But whether we celebrate holidays like Independence Day, Columbus Day, Thanksgiving, and even Christmas, um, those holidays have sometimes been problematic for Black African Americans. Yes, the holidays have not always been happy for African Americans. So celebrating some holidays has presented a level of ambiguity. For example, Independence Day celebrates white men establishing their independence from tyranny while they pass down worse tyranny to others. Even religious holidays at the center of Black African American culture carry the complex history of both salvation and enslavement. I think of it as a way when we celebrate these holidays that we weave ourselves into the fabric of America, despite the turbulent history of how we got here. Well, you're you're right, Courtney. Black African-Americans have always found ways to subvert the tools of supremacy and infuse them with their culture. For example, slave food became soul food. Spirituals that had been born out of pain and out of struggle became jazz, gospel, and the blues. And religious holidays became reasons to escape from the hardships of slavery, then from sharecropping and Jim Crow. So, Courtney, I think you have a story or two about that ambiguity and the complex intersection between holidays and Black African Americans in this country. I do. Now, this is going to be a tale of two holidays in the life of an African-American plantation slave in the South, Christmas and New Year's. They both stand out because of how we celebrate them now, their closeness. They kind of weave into each other. But for a slave, these two days represented both the best and worst life could offer them. Now, as I was doing my research for this episode, I was actually very surprised when I read how slaves through their narrative spoke about Christmas during slavery. And the fact that for the most part, they were happy memories, stories much like of our own in today's time, gift giving, dancing, parties, um, 
all kinds of revelry. Also, they had parades and, and even white people were, were filled with the spirit of Christmas and would tip some of the black people they met just in the spirit of the holiday. Hmm. But along with those stories of food, fun, and family, um, and that them not being what I expected, there were a couple of sad tales as well. Hmm. Some slaves on certain plantations were not allowed to celebrate it at all, celebrate it all, and it was just another day. But that was not the norm. So how could that be true? Because the idea of slaves having a happy Merry Christmas while still being enslaved did not sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with me either. So you're going to have to bring it. Okay. Now, before I give you the answer and my conclusion, we're going to take a walk through each of these celebrations and what they consisted of for a Black African-American slave living in the South, using historical accounts and firsthand slave narratives. Good. Now, a gentleman by the name of Kesey McKim, who was born in the slavery in 1853, was interviewed in 1937 um, for his historical slave narrative. Now, when asked about Christmas, he described it as follows. It was a great day on the plantation. It was Christmas. We all got a little present from the master. That's interesting. I never knew. I never knew that either. Another uh, gentleman by the name of Beauregard Tennyson explained, didn't ha- we didn't have a Christmas tree, but they set up a long pine table in the house and had a plank table on, on top of that covered with presents. None of the Negroes ever got forgot on that day. He even referred to Christmas as the slaves often did as big times. Wow. Food and gifts on Christmas for the enslaved. That's news to me. News to me as well. Even Booker T. Washington spoke somewhat fondly of the holidays on his own plantation. They brought with them a change from the regular everyday work and gave way to the holiday preparation, signaling that big times were near. Hmm. So what was it about Christmas that invoked these types of responses from people who, for the larger part of the year, were often treated as nothing more than property? Well, to put it simply, it was the only holiday that they had. Even if their master celebrated other holidays, slaves were never included, but rather expected to serve and be obedient. Even if they were given Sundays off, their activities were heavily regulated and the slaves were always expected to know their place or else. So Christmas was the holiday. Christmas was the one and only holiday. Now, Christmas seemed to magically soften the hearts of slave masters and plantation owners all over the South. And most of the Christmas celebrations on these plantations started the same way. And that was with the lighting of the Yule Log. Ooh, I love the Yule Log. Now, the concept of the Yule Log came over with European settlers, and it harkens back to the days of the pagan roots of Christmas. Now, for slaves, the Yule Log served as like a countdown clock, because as long as the Yule Log burned, that would be 
the time slaves would be able to celebrate with time off and have fun with their families. Hmm, okay, so that Yule log was pretty important. Very important. Now, armed with this knowledge, the slaves that were entrusted with finding the Yule log often stacked the odds in their favor to ensure that big times would last for as long as possible. Now, this preparation began a whole year in advance. Slaves would make sure to find the biggest, toughest, greenest hardwood tree and then soak it for the entire year. And when they were sent to go get it for that year's Christmas, they would bring back their treated log and sink another log for the next year. Oh, I love this plan. Oh, I see where it's going. Now, with that Yule log tradition being brought over from Europe, slaves had their own holiday tradition brought over from West Africa called Jokahannes. Now, many historians cite that this tradition is actually the primitive birth of Black fraternities and sororities, uh, probation uh, celebrations where you see the step shows where the, with the parades and the quad and all those intricate steps and moves and songs. This is where a lot of historians think that this started from. Hmm, that's interesting. Now, on Christmas Day, slave children woke up early to be the first to stand on the road to make sure they would get a good seat. Soon, the sounds of music and drumming would draw closer and closer. And one by one, the strongest, most talented, and often uh, those to be considered the most handsome men from each plantation in the area would come marching down the street dressed in brightly colored costumes, adorned with animal tails and horns, and a large festive parade. Hmm. Now, the highlight would be the songs and dances each man would perform. They would have worked on them all year in secret. And each man was hoping that their song and their dance would catch on and be the hit of the parties for that season. Hmm. Wow, I love this. This is, well, (laughs) I wouldn't want to be a slave, but that day sounds like fun. It does sound like fun. And many slave narratives document that those with the best dance moves could guarantee that at that night slave dance, they would have the pick of anyone they'd want to dance with. So there was a lot going on to make sure that you got noticed. Now, as the parade made its way from plantation to plantation, white people would tip the men with coins and whiskey. Now, the slaves knew not to drink the whiskey in public, and they would while it away for more holiday uh, celebrations. Now, enslaved parents always made sure that their children received a gift from them, whether it was handmade or something that they were able to purchase. Because Christmas time was the only time of year that slaves could sell any of their goods or crafts and receive payment that they could keep. Now, some of those slaves did use that money for gifts and others use it for the greatest gift of all, to buy the freedom for themselves or their families. Well, they were clever, so they used their skills and they saved their money. Very, very true. 
Now, even slave masters and their families gave gifts to their slaves as well. Now, here's a disclaimer. Gifts is a term used very loosely. Gifts like tobacco, hats, additional clothes, hair ribbons, candy and cakes for the kids were gifts. Now, other slave masters would just give people their yearly ration of clothing, and you had to make do with that yearly ration of clothing for the whole year to next Christmas. <laughs> not really a gift then. Not, not really a gift. On to the food. Now, dinner on Christmas was often held in the big house and slaves sat in a totally separate room, but in the same house and shared the same meal as their master and their family. Hmm. As the holiday celebrations were on, it seemed like anything was possible. So marriages were very commonplace, even though we know historically that slave marriages were not respected or recognized by law. At Christmas time, several slaves got married and engaged with the blessing from their master. Hmm. Okay. Young men were often encouraged to greet and meet their sweethearts and, like I said, ask them for their hand in marriage. Parties and dances went well into the night and the sounds of laughter and fun often brought an audience of white spectators who watched the slaves dance with reckless abandon that any other time of the year would be forbidden. They were allowed to use drums at Christmas, which was a big no-no normally. They were allowed to be louder and live fully at this time. One day. One one day. Now, it couldn't be anywhere between one to five days. And if you had a good guy with a good Yule log, remember, you could get possibly a week off if you had a good Yule log. Okay, so the Yule log comes into play here. The again. Yule log comes into play because you could extend big times out for a, for a long, long time if you played your cards right. Now, the one thing, despite all those other privileges and gifts and fun times, the one thing that every slave hoped and prayed for during Christmas time was a precious travel pass. Slaves could go a full year or longer without seeing their family members. But at Christmas time, it was commonplace for slaves to receive a travel pass. Now, some passes were only for a few hours. But a slave could be very well allowed several days off to travel to a family member's plantation and celebrate the holidays with them there. But they were expected to come back. Now, for people who did not even hope to dream that freedom could be an option, these few days meant the entire world. Oh, I can't even imagine. That's something. Now, speaking of freedom, the concept of the travel pass being easy to obtain, along with the relaxed holiday rules, did, was not lost on those slaves who understood that it didn't matter how many gifts they got, how many dances they went to, and how many parades of handsome slave men they saw. The only way they would truly be able to find happiness was to escape to freedom, and Christmas provided the perfect cover. Ooh, I, I, I can't wait to hear how this worked. Now, American hero Harriet Tubman led her three brothers and four other slaves to freedom using holiday travel as their disguise. Clever, of, clever. And, 
very clever because at this time of year, even though normally it was against the law for groups of black people to travel out in the open together, Christmas, well, they must have a Christmas pass or they're going to see family. I don't recognize them, but it must be okay. Merry Christmas. So uh, not only did Harriet Tubman use this, but the Crafts, a very famous couple who escaped to freedom, they also escaped by using Christmas as their cover. Great gift. Love it. Now, because despite all of the fun and big times, the slaves were still enslaved. And I don't want that to be lost on our listeners. It sounds like a great holiday time, but those holidays would come to an end. And in all reality, it was just an illusion. It was a manipulation, a holiday sleight of hand done by Southern planters. All the fun and the joy a slave was allowed to experience during the holidays would be weaponized to justify the institution of slavery. The loud music, the the lascivious dancing, the overeating and drinking all served as controlled examples of what slaves would act like if they were given their freedom. So this was really a double jeopardy. If you enjoyed the holidays, it meant you probably couldn't enjoy freedom. Oh, it gets even more twisted, Aunt Carol. Slaves were often encouraged to take part in binge drinking contests, which if you've ever been to a rowdy frat party, binge drinking leads to drunken, raucous behavior. But it also served as a teachable moment for slave masters to explain, if you were free, you'd be acting like this all the time. So you need the control of a white slave master who lets you do this once a year, but keep you in line and in your place 364 days out of the rest of the year. Kind of a sneaky trick, I'd say. A very sneaky trick. Even worse, slaves who didn't seem happy enough during the holidays were seen as rebellious troublemakers and would have a watchful eye placed on them if they didn't put on a happy face and act accordingly. So every bit of joy, every moment of merriment or festive fun served a more sinister purpose that many slaves either didn't realize or want to realize, because if they did, if they actually sat in those feelings, it would be a reminder that they didn't have ownership of anything, not even their happiest emotions. Oh, that's that's amazing. Amazing. Frederick Douglass was quoted as saying this about Christmas. From what I know of the effect of these holidays upon the slave, I believe them to be among the most effective means in the hands of the slave owner in keeping down the spirit of insurrection. Those holidays serve as conductors or safety valves to carry off the rebellious spirit of enslaved humanity. Boy, it's pernicious. Now, as the Yule log burned its last, a darkness that every slave knew would soon make its presence known. There was one day feared by all slaves. And as Christmas ended, that day grew closer and closer. And that day by some slaves has been called the most horrific day in a slave's life. Wow, Courtney, I am definitely intrigued now. I have to say, I'm surprised to hear about some of the Christmas enjoyment enslaved people were granted for a day or so. 
But it looks like even their day of joy appears headed in an ominous direction. So let's take a break and then come back to hear which day held such horrors. Okay, we are back. But hold on a second, Courtney, before you finish, I want to remind our listeners if they want to learn more about systemic racism, that like the uh, holiday situations we're describing in today's episode, go to our website, www.whyaretheysoangry.com for more information. And you can even take our course, Systemic Racism, See It, Say It, Confront It. All righty now, I think you're about to give us a big letdown after all the Christmas merriment you described earlier. Yes, there's no way to sugarcoat it. The cliffhanger I left you and our listeners with was bleak and scary, and I meant it to be. The next holiday we're going to look at is New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Now, for most of us, it's the start of the new year. The old year is dying. One big countdown and a New Year's kiss, and we have a year full of possibilities ahead of us. But for enslaved African Americans, that day represented the utter destruction of everything that they loved and cherished. Now, Southern slave owners dubbed January 1st hiring day, while slaves called it heartbreak day. The running out of slave labor for profit and the settled debts was very commonplace in the South. Deals would be made throughout the year in private and, of course, without the slave's knowledge. And on January 1st, the transactions would be made. Without a thought or care of family bonds, uh, the families would be ripped apart. The slaves never knew if they would see their loved ones next Christmas on a pass or if that was the last time they would see uh, a loved one's face again. New Year's Eve was the scariest night of the year for slave families. They were coming down from the high of Christmas cheer only to be slammed with the hard reality that only in a few hours they would know if their family would stay together for another year or if it would be the last time a husband kissed his wife, parents held their children, or lovers told each other, I love you and good night. No, this Some, is so depressing. I'm sorry. And when I was thinking about this, I looked at my husband. I said, love you. See you when you get back from the store. And then I realized someone who looked very much like me may have been saying those last words and never seeing someone who looked like my husband ever again. Hmm. So that's the weight that we're sitting in right now. Some families sang together. Some families prayed together. Some just sat in silence. There was no way of knowing what would happen until it happened. Many slaves resorted to the most extreme response, which was suicide. Parents made the decision of murdering their own children because they did not want them to live the horrors of slavery without parental protection. As much as I wish I could convey this terror, I can't. Only someone who lived it would be able to. And that would be Harriet Jacobs. From her book, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl from 1861, the chapter Slaves New Year's Day. And I quote, hiring day at the South takes place the 1st of January. And on the 2nd, slaves are expected go to go to their new master. 
From Christmas to New Year's Eve, many families would anxiously wait to find find out whether they would be rented out and to whom. On New Year's Day, at the appointed hour, the grounds are thronged with men, women, and children waiting like criminals to hear their doom pronounced. I saw a mother lead seven children to the auction block. She knew that some of them would be taken from her, but they took all. The slave trader who took her children wouldn't tell her where he was taking taking them because it depended on where he could get the highest price. Jacob said she would never forget the mother screaming out, gone, all gone. Why doesn't God just kill me? Oh, my goodness. What a horrible day. A terrible, terrible day. Now, those who resisted were arrested or worse. And by the day's end, the slaves who weren't immediately taken away were expected to report on January 2nd. And thus, they began another year of their American enslavement. So as you can see, even the most cherished holidays have been touched by racism, thus continuing the complex history of the holidays through the eyes of Black Americans. Well, Courtney, I'm in utter shock at the cruelty both these holidays represented. On the one hand, the joy, the excitement, the glory, the glitter of Christmas, followed by the despair of New Year's Day and the uncertain future it meant. But Aunt Carol, I think that you have a silver lining about New Year's Eve and New Year's Day and how they went from days of being about fear and sorrow to a day of pure celebration. Well, yes, I do, Courtney. Yes, I do. And I will share a little bit about some other holidays. So let's start with New Year's Day, since that was the last story we heard from you. Now, that celebration for Black African Americans includes a celebration known as Watch Night, or alternatively, Freedom's Eve, which is celebrated in Black African American churches on New Year's Eve during religious services. They usually begin about 7 p.m. and end at midnight at the stroke of the new year. Now, the original white watch night was created in 1733 by the Moravians, who were a white European Protestant and Christian denomination. Now, about 40 years later, in 1770, watch night took on a slightly different form called covenant renewal services when it was brought to America by the Methodist founder, John Wesley. Now, the Methodists held their watch night services every month and during every full moon. Now, both the Moravians and white American Methodists held their separate formal services on December 31st in order to, quote, watch over and meditate on their past to determine if they would be ready for the possible coming of God in the new year. Now, here's how Black African Americans fit in with this uh, watch night that was actually brought over by whites. The story goes that enslaved Blacks adopted watch night as part of their informal church services on plantations and in cabins on December 31st, 1862, because they had heard rumors about President Lincoln's so-called Emancipation Proclamation. It had been publicized on September 22nd, 1862, but was to go into effect on January 1st, 1863. So for Blacks that year, Watch Night or Freedom's Night meant watching for the coming of their freedom. 
Now, stated differently, Watch Night or Freedom's Night Eve for Blacks was not religious, but spiritual and cultural. Now, there's another version of the tradition in these services that they began as a watch for violence against Black African Americans, which was often perpetrated against them on New Year's Eve. For example, on New Year's Eve in 1827 in New York City, a white mob attacked African American congregants and vandalized their church. Now, whatever the true history of the celebration, it's marked with both reverence and joy in many Black African-American churches around the country. I have so many memories of not wanting to go to watch night because my friends were doing something else on New Year's. But now that I know the history, I wish I cherished those memories more. Well, that's unfortunate. That's how it usually goes, Courtney. We look back on things and learn things uh, with 2020 vision in the rearview mirror. Um, Now, let's look at another holiday with mixed history, Columbus Day. Many see this as a celebration of the conquest of Native Americans by colonists. So Black African-Americans rightfully find this type of colonization offensive and painfully as a reminder of their own conquest and enslavement. Some choose to recognize the day as Indigenous Peoples Day in recognition of the natives who were in America well before Columbus. Well, as a hip hop fan myself, I always say the only Christopher I recognize is Wallace. Shout out to the Notorious B.I.G. But in all seriousness, over this summer in my town, a fight broke out between adults when the question was raised if they should take down the statue of Christopher Columbus. An adult, a lady, an adult lady got on TV and said, Christopher Columbus is the first Italian American. How dare you tear a statue down? So that holiday has been one of those ones I struggle with. But I can say that with my age group, the myth of Christopher Columbus discovering America has all but ceased and recognizing indigenous peoples and their efforts is brought more to the forefront. I get you. Now, here's another controversial holiday, Independence Day, or popularly known as the 4th of July. It doesn't fare so well with Black African-Americans either, since the idea Thomas Jefferson and most of the country's founders were slaveholders and the phrase all men are created equal left out the enslaved who weren't considered human, women, and other people of color like Native Americans. Now, my Aunt Marcia loves the 4th of July, and I can honestly say it's another one on my holiday hit list that I struggle with because, like you stated, African-Americans were not considered in the all men. But as a lover of history, I have reconciled this quandary in my mind with learning about those Black African-Americans who participated in the Revolutionary War. They did extraordinary things, and it's their memory that I like to honor on that day. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, other Black African-Americans reconcile that day by celebrating something different. They celebrate Juneteenth instead of Independence Day. Now, Juneteenth is the oldest nationally recognized commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. 
Dating back to 1865, it was on June 19th that the Union soldiers, led by Major General Gordon Granger, landed at Galveston, Texas, with news that the war had ended and that the enslaved were now free. Note that this was two and a half years after President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which had become official January 1st, 1863. Now, living in Texas, I learned to celebrate Juneteenth properly, and I'm so glad that I did raising a cup of red soda to all my people in Texas. Now, during the this past year, Juneteenth has become a trending topic with the rise of social unrest. Now, it shocked me how many Black people didn't know about Juneteenth at all. But I hope moving forward, both Black people and white people and lovers of freedom of all colors begin to recognize this amazing holiday. I'm with you 100%, my dear niece. And I'm sorry to say, when I first moved to Texas, I didn't give Juneteenth the respect it deserves, but I'm all in now. Because again, as I said earlier, it is the only holiday that recognizes the abolition and the ending of slavery in the United States. Now, let's bring things up to another holiday that's not too far off our radar screen. We just finished Turkey Day, so let's start talking about Thanksgiving. Like Columbus Day, some criticize Thanksgiving as an embellished narrative about pilgrims and natives looking past their differences to break bread. Conversely, Professor Robert Jensen of the University of Texas at Austin suggested this, quote, one indication of moral progress in the United States would be the replacement of Thanksgiving Day and its self-indulgent family feasting with, quote, a national day of atonement accompanied by a self-reflective collective fasting. Well, what I've been seeing is that Black African-Americans as a community look at Thanksgiving not as a celebration of the pilgrims that in settling in an already settled land, but as a time to celebrate and be with family and giving back by doing community service and connecting with elders. Well, you're exactly right, Courtney. And in fact, if you've ever seen uh, President Obama and his family, that's how they celebrate Thanksgiving by going out and uh, going to a food shelter, uh, going to a shelter and serving food to the homeless. Now, here's a touchy subject: celebrating Christmas also has its detractors. In 2015, Black Lives Matter organized a demonstration forcing stores to close at the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota, two days before Christmas, to protest police brutality against Black Americans. Jason Soule, the criminal justice reform chair of the Minneapolis NAACP, told the Los Angeles Times, the protest was held at the mall to impact them, meaning white America, where it hurt. Later, Black Lives Matter leaders added, quote, Christmas is a corporate holiday that does nothing but generate millions of dollars for white businesses powered by white supremacy. I will save my thoughts on that, and I will say this. Everyone should be able to celebrate Christmas in his own way because our family has definitely not done away with Christmas for its religious, cultural, and familiar togetherness that it does for us. But we do do something else. We incorporate the tradition of celebrating Kwanzaa be it in our own way, kind of fast-track Kwanzaa all in one night, but we do celebrate it. 
You're, you're right, Courtney. Fast track it is. Uh, we've de- we've celebrated Kwanzaa in our family for over 40 years. Now, Milana Karinga, a Black African-American scholar and activist, created Kwanzaa in 1966. Its name is derived from the phrase Matunda Ya Kwanzaa, which means first fruits in Swahili the most widely spoken African uh, language on the African continent. However, Kwanzaa, the holiday, did not exist in Africa. So we need to keep that in mind. It was created. Though it's not from a particular African country, each day of Kwanzaa, or in our family, each round you go, is devoted to a celebration of seven basic values of African culture, or the Naguza Saba, which in Swahili means seven principles. Now translated, these principles are unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economics, shout out to my mom because that's her favorite, aka building black businesses, purpose, creativity, and faith. A candle is lit on each day to celebrate one of these principles. And on the last day, a black candle is lit and gifts are shared. And our family's tradition of celebrating both Christmas and Kwanzaa is important to us. And I hope our successive generations carry it on. Well, I definitely plan on doing it. The holidays are about building family traditions. No matter how dark the start, you can make the change in your own family to celebrate how you choose. So true, my dear niece. Well, Coming to a close, I wish everyone a happy holiday, however you choose to celebrate it. If you miss us during the holiday season, as always, you can find us on Facebook at Why Are They So Angry. You can give us a like and check out those posts. You can give us a like and follow us on Instagram at Why Are They So Angry. You can follow us on Twitter at W-A-T-S-A underscore online. Follow us and tweet us as well or come on over to the website www.whyarethesoangry.com where you can take the course systemic racism see it say it confront it and on our next episode it's the year in wrap-up Ooh, tell us all about it courtney what are we doing we are going to give you an inside look as at us like a clip show our favorite episodes things we like things we didn't like And our listeners can even participate. So if you head over to Facebook and send us a message, we might read one of your favorite things on the show. I can't wait to do this year in review with you and our listeners, Aunt Carol. I can't wait either. So I'm looking forward to it. And again, happy holidays to all of our listeners. Happy holidays to all. That brings today's episode to a close. We hope you join us next time when we continue providing the answer to the question, why are they so angry? As always, we hope you learn something so you can see it, say it, and confront it.